Well, good morning, Redemption Tempe. Hey, I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Would you uh, pray with me before we dive into God's word? Hmm. Father, we thank you for uh, your presence here. We thank you for those moments uh, as we sing, as we pray, as we hear your word, that you remind us that you are with us. Jesus, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you for those new mercies that you have already extended to us this morning. And so now, Father, we come to you. Uh, we are eager to hear your voice. And so would you speak through your word like you have done so faithfully uh, throughout history, Lord? We ask that you would continue to do this today. Tune our, tune our ears to your voice. Not mine, Lord, but your voice. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, this morning, I get to uh, share a story with you guys. I'm going to tell you about my friend. And if you've been to church before, then you know, like, any good Sunday school answer, like, my friend Jesus. We're going to get there, but not yet. We're going we're gonna to start with my friend Jim Mullins, who you guys uh, may know. He's one of the co-lead pastors around here. And if you're, you're used to Redemption Tempe culture, then you're probably already tuning in that I'm going to tell, like, funny and embarrassing stories about Jim Mullins because that's how we roll around here. Uh, but I am, I'm going to break from tradition. I'm going to tell you guys about my friend, Jim Mullins. And uh, when Jim came on staff uh, full-time here years ago, uh, I, I connected with him. He was one of, one of the few pastors that I connected deeply with. And we pretty early on um, had a really good, deep friendship. And, and one of the things that I noticed about Jim and I love and I appreciate about Jim Man, I just saw him walk in the room. <laughs> he doesn't know that I'm talking about this. Jim Mullins always points me to Jesus. Um, and it's not just what Jim says. So in 2013, uh, it was like a crazy year for, for my family and I. In October, my wife was hospitalized with some, some health issues. She was pregnant with our youngest. In November, my oldest was hospitalized with some health issues. In December, I was hospitalized twice with some health issues. And then in January, our, our youngest was born. And so we thought like, okay, you know, new year, like we're turning the corner, things are great. 10 days later, he had a high fever, he was hospitalized. And so in those four consecutive months, months everyone in my family had spent time in the hospital. Uh, I was out of paid time off. We had medical bill, you know, all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, strange things started happening. Strange things like we would receive um, free vegetables from like this uh, farmer's co-op thing that was going on at the church and, and didn't know who paid for it. And we're like, what, what's going on? Uh, strange things like this is before I ever met John Crawford, one of the pastors here. Uh, he had heard our story and his RC collected money and, and gift cards for my family. And I started to hear these rumblings. Hey, I heard from Jim Mullins. Your family's going through something. Hey, Jim told me, I got a phone call from somebody in this church who said, I had a conversation with Jim Mullins. He told me about uh, all of the medical bills you guys have. Tell me an amount and we will write a check. And it was story after story. Literally, guys, there was, there was I will never forget it because it, it was too good to be, it felt like not real. There, there was a bill that we had that was, that was due. We needed $100 to cover this bill. We did not have it. And I remember praying like, Lord, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And we woke up in the morning, and on our front porch, there was an envelope that just said, we love you, Will and Aaron, with a $100 bill in it. And I remember, like, I brought it in, and I remember telling my wife, like, 
this is what you hear preachers say, right? Like this is one of those stories where like a preacher says it from stage and you're like, yeah, right, $100 and $100. That stuff kept happening and we kept hearing rumblings of like, yeah, Jim Mullins told us, Jim Mullins told us. So, uh, you know, we were getting more and more connected to the church. I had been meeting with Ricardo and some of the other pastors and talking about feeling this call to ministry and, and wanting to come on staff full time. And then about five years ago, five years ago next month, I got a call from Ricardo Stewart, who was a former lead pastor here, and he said, hey, are you serious about this? I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. We've had conversations, pastoral residency, the whole, the whole deal. He's like, okay, we finally have enough in our budget to do this. He goes, but... He said, what you need to know is that Jim Mullins went part-time and took a part-time job with Surge so that we had enough in our budget for your salary. Why? Why would somebody willingly decrease so that someone else could increase? Now, before we get too taken away with this illustration, Jim is not John the Baptist, and by no means am I saying I'm Jesus. Let's clarify this from the outset. But Jim Mullins demonstrates this Christ-like sacrificial nature that will willingly decrease so that other people can increase. Uh, myself and my family have been best, blessed greatly by this. And this is what we're going to see. This is what we're going to see John the Baptist do in this passage today. So let's dive in. We're in the book of John, chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. John, chapter 3. <clears throat> we're going to be starting in verse 22 to set the stage. John, chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anan near Salim because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So we see John the Baptist's disciples are presenting this question. Really what's implied here is how can we increase? The, these are his followers, right? They looked at him as the rabbi. That means they have given everything up to follow John the Baptist, to listen to his teaching, to watch how he lives and emulate his way of life. Now they've missed something in John's teaching, which we'll get there, but they have given everything up. They have staked their claim on John the Baptist. And we see what's happening. They're fully convinced that following John the Baptist is the way to go, but now here's Jesus. And here's Jesus' disciples. And John the Baptist's disciples say, look, everyone, all are following Jesus. In Luke's gospel, Luke tells us that John the Baptist had multitudes following him. So think about this. John the Baptist's message has been the same from the beginning of this book. I am not the Christ. Jesus is. I'm not the Christ. Jesus is. Don't follow me. Follow Jesus. And John the Baptist's disciples are like, yeah, John, you're right. You're right. But look at the multitudes. Clearly something's going on here. Something good is going on here. There's so many people. But then when that gets challenged, when they see the reality of John the Baptist's message bearing out, and all are following Jesus, now life feels shaky. 
They have made a choice how to identify, how to do life, how to increase, how to make their image great. Where is the truth? Where is the way to go? It's with John the Baptist, but now the numbers are decreasing. Now the uncertainty starts to set in. It's low-hanging fruit, but guys, this is 2020. (laughs) We can feel this. We know what it feels like when a certain way of life that we have grown very comfortable with, that we have become dependent upon, now feels upended. We have the question, what do we do? What do we do now? Everything is decreasing. Everything feels unsettled and and insecure. And so we ask the question, how can we get back to the increase? How can we increase? And so John the Baptist's disciples, like good disciples, they bring this question to John the Baptist. And he responds like every good person who's discipling someone else in the Christian faith. He says, Jesus. It's the typical Sunday school answer, but there's a reason it's the typical Sunday school answer. He points them to Jesus in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the decrease, in the midst of feeling like everything is outside of their control, he responds with, look to Jesus. Let's pick up in verse 27. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. So his his disciples are asking John the Baptist the question, how should we, how can we increase? And John tells them, wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. This question is not, how should we increase? The question is, well, what is going on? Where is Jesus in this? And John reminds his his disciples, he uses this image of a bride and a bridegroom. Now, they would have been familiar with Old Testament imagery, and this is one of the key images that the Old Testament scriptures give of the coming Messiah, of the groom who will come and, and, and collect his bride and basically live happily ever after. If you've read Revelation, you're familiar with this imagery. Jesus will reunite heaven and earth. He will collect his church, the bride of Christ. That's what we are. And we will have a huge feast to celebrate. So John is tapping into this imagery and he's saying, you guys are asking the wrong question. I'm not the groom. I'm the best man. And just like the best man doesn't take the groom's place during the vows... The best man doesn't sit at the head table and when we clink our glasses, he's not the one to kiss the bride. That's the groom's role, right? Like imagine that for a minute, right? We've all been to weddings where they do the awkward like clink, 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 right? And the bride and groom kiss. Could you imagine like somebody stands up like, wait a minute, wouldn't everyone like to see my wife and I kiss? Like, no, dude, shut up. No, it's not your day. It's not your day. But John's, the Baptist disciples think it's his day. It's not his day. He points them to Jesus. This is the groom. Jesus is the groom who's come. He's the one. He's the one. He diverts their attention towards Jesus. And he says that that he must decrease and that Jesus must increase. We see this happen. This plays out in the Gospel of John. 
The next time we'll see John the Baptist, he will be executed. There's something very foretelling about these, these last words that we read of John the Baptist. And if we're honest with ourselves, we kind of feel this. This reality that we are decreasing. The reality, not to get too morbid, but we are all one day closer to the last day of our lives. Our, our kids are getting older. They're, they rely less and less on us with each day that passes. Each day we're getting older. We just, we spent a few days up in, in Pine in a cabin and we went for a hike. And, you know, now this morning I'm like, my knee's cracking and, you know, I'm achy. I got to like stretch and crack my back before I roll out of bed, right? Like we're, we're, we're all of us. We are decreasing. And no matter how hard we fight against that truth, it's still truth. It's still the reality. And so how do we steward that? What do we do with these questions of decrease? Why, why would someone willingly decrease? Or how do we wrestle through these realities that we are decreasing? Well, John makes it clear. He, he says, Jesus. He says, look to Jesus. Why look to Jesus? Well, what is so unique about Jesus? Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John is making some big claims about who Jesus is here. And I love, it's just kind of like phrase stacked upon phrase, sentence on sentence. You can, you can almost hear the passion and the excitement in John, in John as he is describing who Jesus is. There's a reason why it's okay to decrease. There's a reason why John says, hey, this is going to happen. I must decrease and he must increase. It's because Jesus is who he describes. And you can, you can catch this like overwhelming joy bubbling up in John as he's writing these things. It reminds me, uh, a few weeks ago, we had seen my family and, and we went on like a little trip with them. And <clears throat> my boys, okay, don't, th this is a safe space. Don't judge me here, right? Uh, my boys, since through COVID, have gotten really into Fortnite. Okay, if I'm honest, my whole family has gotten really into Fortnite. So we'll do like family Fortnite times and we'll play. And, you know, in the midst of, of everything in the world, it's a really fun, like, break, right? So for my kids, like, the number one thing, if you're not familiar, Fortnite's a video game. I should make that clear. Uh, the number one thing for them is Fortnite. So, like, literally, we did back-to-school shopping. And we're at Kohl's looking at, you know, like little boy underwear. And they're like, those Fortnite ones, that's it, Fortnite. So we go, all I'd say, we go to see my family. And the only thing they want to do is show Fortnite to my family. That's all they want to talk about. And once we, you know, plug it in and turn it on and, and you know, my mom and dad sit down, grandma and grandpa are here, you know, and they're, they're watching. And the boys, they just can't stop talking about Fortnite. It's so cool. And this season is Marvel and you can get all these characters and there's this and you can build a fort and you can shoot it. And, and, and it's like, guys, breathe. <laughs> like we can't hear these words that are all strung together, but that's what's happening. John has seen Jesus. John has been with Jesus. 
He can't help but bubble up this overwhelming praise and worship and adoration of who Jesus is. He spent time walking around with Jesus. Think about that. So when he describes the one who is from above, that's a lived reality for him. That's a life-changing reality for him. So of course he's going to have like this rapid fire paragraph entire gospel of who Jesus is because he's Jesus. He sees what's going on with John the Baptist. He sees the uncertainty in his disciples, but he knows that there's something better. And it's Jesus. So let's walk through what he says here. It says Jesus, he verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. There is something unique here. So while John the Baptist's disciples are asking, how should we increase? And John the Baptist is telling them, you guys are asking the wrong question. The right question is, who has life? And from the first descriptor here, we see that Jesus is different. We all came from the delivery room. Jesus came from above. His origin is different than ours in his deity. Jesus was born, he put on flesh, all of that is true, but he comes from above. He who is of the earth, that's us, belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Everyone else, all of the prophets, all of the patriarchs, everyone else in scripture has heard about God. God has spoken to them through the Spirit. Jesus has been with God. Jesus is God. Sent from the Father. We'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. He has seen the Father. He is sent from heaven. He has experienced it. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. There is something so unique about who Jesus is. Those who accept him, they are testifying that God is true, that God is real. There is something about an encounter with Jesus that shapes your life in such a way that now you bear witness about who God is and this reality of what God is like. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The Father has given the Son the Spirit without measure, and the Son has poured out the Spirit upon his people, his bride, the church. We receive this Spirit through Jesus. The Father loves the Son, and he has given all things into his hand. We learn about the character of the Father and the Son in this statement. John tells us in 1 John, God is love. The Father loves the Son. There is an abundance of love and of joy in this relationship. There's this really interesting dynamic here that, that John is working out even in his theology of the Trinity because we see God the Father giving all things to the Son. So that would imply that God the Father has something that the Son doesn't have. There, there is a dynamic in that relationship, but he has given him all things. So there's a unique position but the Father has given the Son all things, which puts him at an equal level as the Father. This is a giving, sacrificial, generous relationship 
that is rooted in love. The Father loves the Son. He has given all things into the Son's hand. All authority, all power, the Spirit without measure. So when John the Baptist's disciples are questioning, what do we do to increase? There's a reason that John points them to Jesus. Jesus isn't just a really good teacher. Jesus isn't another prophet who speaks truth. Jesus is the son who is loved by the father, who invites us into relationship with the father as the the bridegroom of his bride, the church. And so John concludes with this, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. He makes these bold claims about who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Jesus was sent from God for us. Jesus is above all. He speaks the truth about what he has seen and heard his father do about the reality of the coming kingdom, about the reality of uh, of the nature of our world. And in the midst of this time for John the Baptist's disciples when they are decreasing and they can't stop it, I think that resonates with us. In the midst of this time, as we look out and it feels like everything is flipped up, upside down, flipped on its head, as we don't know what is certain, we don't know what Halloween or Thanksgiving are going to look like, but there is one who does. There is one who was not surprised by 2020. There is one who was not caught off guard by everything that's happening. And when our eyes are fixed on him, church, it does something to us. It gives us a firm ground to stand on. It gives us the example of a relationship that would willingly decrease for the sake of the other because that's what Jesus did. Jesus willingly put on flesh, walked amongst us, lived a perfect life, and willingly laid his life down to decrease so that we might increase. So as we respond to that, we have no other choice. How can we walk away from the Savior? Where else would we go? This is Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it, we love to talk. It, he's, it's communal. The scope of his salvation is cosmic. He is reconciling all things, all things, and you, and me. In the midst of the bigness of his scope of salvation, he has not forgotten us. The heavy thing that you walked in here with, he wants it to decrease so that he can increase. That thing you haven't told anyone about, he wants it. He wants it to decrease so that he can increase. All of those things that we worry about that we're uncertain with, that we don't know, we don't see a way how it can come back to increase, he's got it because he's from above, because the Father sent him, because the Father loves him, and because he loves us. And so now I invite the, the band to come back up. We're gonna transition into our time of response. We get to respond to this good news. We get to respond to the fact that there is a savior who knows our name, who knit us together in our mother's womb, who knows every hair on our head, who has all things in his hand, and who is inviting us, inviting us in, inviting us to decrease so that he can increase. We don't have to be afraid. He's good. He is good. 
And church, he is in charge. He is powerful. He is more powerful than our best plans, our New Year's resolutions in January. He is more powerful than all of these things. He is good. And so like John the Baptist, like my friend Jim Mullins, we can willingly lay ourselves down for the sake of others because that's what Jesus has done for us because he loves us and invites us into that relationship. So now we get to respond as God's people have done uh, since the night Jesus was crucified. We get to take communion. And this is something that, that the church has done um, to, to remember and to also look ahead. And so we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. But guys, we get to look ahead. We get to look ahead to the day when we will feast with the bridegroom. When we won't have an individually wrapped little wafer, but we will have a feast of the best foods. And so until that day, I invite you to take this with me to remember Jesus whose body was willingly given for us. And now we come to the cup. We're thankful that with our technology, we have these, these safe, Little, little sips of grape juice. We're thankful for that, but we look forward to the day when we will feast, when we will enjoy the best wine that creation has ever produced as we remember the blood that was shed for us on our behalf. We invite you to, to take the cup now. All right, church, let's pray, and then Josh and the band will lead us in, in worship through song.